Well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. I'm glad that you are here. If this is your first time with us, hey, I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we welcome you here. And uh, in your seats, or at least in the in the seat in front of you, there should have been one of those cards uh, on the front. It asks for information on uh, just whatever you feel comfortable filling out. We just like to know who's here and be praying for people who are here. But then also on the back is a is a place where you can write prayer requests. Um, and so we we loved it. I like. I mean, I. I, I I know some of you guys probably, this almost feels like a routine because I say the same thing almost every week, but we, we love to be spending time during the week praying for you guys, uh, but then also uh, just hearing about uh, how God is answering prayers and working things out. Uh, as a church, this is, this is just one of the things that we're committed to as a church, um, is that we want to be connected. We want to be, um, I, I want to be approachable. I want to be connected with you and with your life, and uh, Jamie as well. Uh, he's one of our, our pastors here. Jamie, wave your hand. All right, if you don't know Jamie, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we want to be connected uh, with you guys, and we want to uh, we want to be a part of your life. and want to be uh, just kind of journeying uh, through life with you uh, and, and just wrestling with uh, the questions that you have either in the Scripture or um, where is God in the midst of this situation or, or um, you know, or, or, uh, or maybe there's a, a point even where together we're like, we don't, I don't, I don't really know where God is in the middle of this situation, but he's, but he's there and we're going to trust him with you together, right? That's, that's sometimes how, how life, how life is. Uh, and so we, we love to know what's going on. So, um, that's a way of connecting with us, but it's not the only way of connecting with us. Feel free to, to, to grab us after church and, and begin, um, just sharing with us what, whatever you want us to know and be, uh, praying with you about or talking about or any of that kind of stuff. Um, because as a church, we, we value community. We don't believe that, um, God wants us just coming to church, uh, and checking this off our list and saying, I, I did that and, and, and thinking in some way that pleased God by my, uh, showing up at a building with a bunch of other people and singing a couple of songs and listening to the scriptures being read and taught, right? That, that's not what God is, 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 uh, is desiring from us. Um, we've kind of systemized that to, in our modern day. Um, but God wants us as a part of a community, um, where we can, um, where we, we can be encouraged to walk together with one another, uh, towards holiness and, and whether, where there are strengths, there is strength in numbers where, where together we are made strong for the work that God has for us to do. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our series. We called it Confessions of an Ex-Con. Uh, and really last week we looked at, and, and throughout this, the, when I was thinking about this series, I was really looking at my own life and I was, um, and I, and I began thinking to myself, if God isn't any better than I am, right? If, if God's goodness isn't any better than my goodness, then that's not a God that I want to have anything to do with, right? If God somehow can't surpass uh, my either my kindness or my grace or my ability to forgive or my mercy or my compassion if if god can't surpass that or even um um my morals and, and values and ethics right if if god if god isn't any bigger than that um if god's goodness isn't any greater than that that's not a god that i want to have anything to do with and, and that's exactly what the scriptures are teaching us is that that god so far exceeds Anywhere where we're able to stand, any level that we're able to attain, any goodness that we can have on our own, in any morality that can be at play in our lives, any value that, that we might bring to this world, any compassion, kindness, uh, joy, grace, mercy, any of that, that God so far surpasses that, the scriptures are teaching us. And, 
and what the Bible calls this is, is um, um, God's law. And so the, the way of God is God's law. And so it just kind of breaks it down to us and says we're all, according to that law, we're all lawbreakers. We've all broken the law. We've been convicted. We have a life sentence. And in fact, the Bible says that if left to our own um, devices, if, if left to our own way and our own will and life apart from God's way and God's will, that our lives are headed one direction and that's destruction, death, and distance from God. That, that the human life in and of itself is headed away from God and not towards God. But God has shown his love for us. I think this is even Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in Romans today, uh, chapter 6. But in Romans chapter 5, that God has shown his love for us that even while we, the Bible uses this word enemies, even while our lives were living in opposition to God, right? When we have no way in mind, in our minds, the things of God, the ways of God, um, the, the purposes of God, the values of God, when we don't have that in our mind at all, that God chose to pursue us relentlessly, right? That, that's the God we serve. That this God said, this person is in uh, a, uh, a life heading away from me, running away from me, but I'm going to pursue Wesley or fill your name in there, right? I'm going to pursue him or her relentlessly and I'm not giving up. And in that pursuit, he went to the cross and died for our sins. And he secured our pardon. Where now we've been freed. And now we are ex-cons who are free to worship him. And last week, we, we finished up the message with two things. Um, that we struggle with sin as though our salvation depends upon it. That means we struggle to live into um, this life that God has freed us for. We struggle as though our salvation depends upon it. But then the second thing is we realize that it doesn't. And that was last week. So we're continuing this message uh, this week with the second confession of an ex-con. But let's pray before we get into the message this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this opportunity again to open the scriptures, to study them, to understand what you have done in actual history to change the course of history, to transform this world. God, we thank you that you are that good, that big, that powerful. That what you did was effective in this world. And as a result of it, we are sitting here today worshiping you. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So this morning we're at the second confession of an ex-con. And I think, um, and, and just thinking about what an ex-con would experience, the, the second confession I believe that any ex-con would have is this freedom sure feels good, right? I, I can't imagine what it must feel like after being locked up and serving hard time and walking out of prison. The first feeling would be this 
freedom feels good. I imagine, and it may not be that way, but I imagine a sunny day, right? I, th- I imagine that first step out of prison when, and when you can run, you can go, you can do whatever you want. You, you can go to, um, you can go to McDonald's if that's your thing. You can go to Popeyes if that's your thing. You can go visit your friends and your family, right? Whatever it is that, that you've been craving, you've been wanting, this freedom feels feels good and I'm going to take advantage of it. I think I was sitting there thinking as we were uh, in, in, uh, singing in worship, I, I was thinking to myself, what would be the first thing I would do like if I was locked up and when I got free, what, what would be the first thing that I would run and, and, and go do? Um, and, and, and I think I, I actually think it's kind of mushy-gushy, but I think I would go to my, my, my parents' house and uh, hopefully we'd have a family gathering. We'd sit there and we would eat and talk and spend time with one another. Um, because this freedom feels, feels good. You see, no matter what it is, when we experience freedom, freedom feels, it feels good to us. But what statistics tell us is that over 40% of people who are released from prison return to prison in within three years. Over 40% of them. And so they step out and they say, this freedom feels good. I'm not going back in there. Whatever it takes for me to keep this freedom, whatever it takes for me to remain this way, to be able to walk freely, they say, I'm not going back in there. But over 40% do. That's because the reality is freedom's not easy. Freedom is not easy. You see, what happens in prison is that the opportunity is removed, right? There's opportunity, but often little is done to rehabilitate. And so you're in there, and I I can't count the number of people um, um, that that I've either heard of or visited in prison. And and I feel like almost everybody goes to jail, and they find God, right? God is there. They find God. I met this guy, one guy, um, that I was visiting in jail once, and, and, uh, and we visit on time to time, and this guy... Uh, almost immediately seemed like he had been rehabilitated, right? His life was straight. He wasn't going to do the same thing again. Every time I would go visit him, he had memorized a new scripture. He had done um, all these kind of things. He was, he was studying the Bible. He was, uh, he was asking me to bring him verses. I would bring him verses. He memorized them all. I'd come back and then give him more verses, and he would memorize them, them all. Um, because in there... It, it's a little bit easier, at least a little bit easier, right, to do the right thing or get focused and say, hey, I want to do the right thing so I can get out and I'm not ever coming back. And you step out, this freedom feels good and freedom without responsibility, freedom without structure gets you back in the same situation. Freedom without responsibility, freedom without structure gets us back in the same situation. Now, in our nation, freedom is one of our most valuable commodities. You think about just the, the, um, the, the world that we live in, especially in our society, right? Our, our, the bird of choice is the eagle, right? Because it represents freedom, right? The Statue of Liberty, freedom. We, we, we sing about freedom in our nation. Our nation values freedom almost more than anything else, right? You can take anything from us, but don't mess with our freedom. In fact, to an outsider, it may seem like Americans are obsessed with their freedom. They'll do anything for it in order to hold on to it. In fact, it's become kind of like a buzzword. You think about car commercials, these truck commercials, uh, go where the, go off the beaten path. Uh, they, they give you freedom. You buy a four-wheel drive car, it gives you freedom. Freedom 
sales, right? People will, will pursue something uh, for financial freedom, even if, it, if it's destructive. Even our, our, um, our, uh, our, our logical, critical thinking is often uh, put aside for, for freedom. It's become a buzzword in our society. We're attracted to it. It's used in marketing. We all desire freedom to some degree or another and more of it. It's what we live for. It's what we work for. It's what we crave as we're children and growing up. And when we've tasted it, this freedom sure feels good. Now, in the Bible, Paul is using the word freedom. In Romans chapter 6 especially, he uses the word free several times. Um, but, but, um, but, but what he's doing and what he's teaching there um, doesn't completely fall in line with freedom as, if, as, as we think about it in our society. In fact, I, I think the freedom that Paul is teaching, that, that Paul had an idea, as I was reading the scripture, that he had at least an idea that when he spelled out what freedom in Christ looked like, there were going to be some people in the church that were going to say, nah, I didn't sign up for that, right? I, I, that's not the kind of freedom that, that I'm looking for. Um, because when you look at Paul's life, he, right, he, he refers himself as free in Christ, um, but then he also, in other places, refers to himself as a prisoner to Christ. And I can't help but to think, especially when you get at the beginning of Romans 6, and we're going to be there for a little bit this morning and read some scriptures in Romans 6, uh, that Paul is trying to, to get people to understand that this freedom is really a good thing, even though it might not match up or line up with what they think. Look with me at Romans chapter 6, right where it begins, um, it, where Paul's, um, he's been, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a verse in, in chapter 5 first, um, but Paul's been preaching on God's grace and what God has done um, to, to free us from sin. But look at verse 19. He says, for just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, and that's the disobedience of one man. He's talking about Adam back in the beginning, that many became sinners, that sin entered this world through one man, that, uh, that he says, through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. Uh, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. So what he's saying is, and that one man was Jesus. So through Adam, sin has entered the world uh, Paul is teaching. But then he says, through Jesus, the many will be made righteous. And, and it's almost like he's saying, because that's just the way God is, right? That's just the way that God does things, that his grace is that big, that through Jesus Christ, you, right, you have been made righteous. Yeah, yeah, amen, yeah. That just, that through Jesus Christ, you have been made righteous. And, and the Romans are going, whoa, 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 whoa. I haven't, I haven't done anything to deserve that. And Paul's saying that that's exactly what I'm saying. You haven't done anything. Well, I, but I haven't even changed my life yet, right? I'm still totally wrapped up in the same thing I was wrapped up in before I came to know Jesus. Um, my life still looks the same. And, and Paul's saying, through Jesus Christ, you've now become righteous. And so the immediate question that people are going to have, and this is where the early church was getting this thing a little confused, is they were like, well, <laughs> I mean, if I'm righteous and I haven't had to change my life as a result of it, well, can't I just keep doing what I've been doing, right? Can't I, does that mean that now in Jesus Christ, that, that, that the rules have been removed and now it's kind of an 
anything goes kind of world, where the things that I have struggled to resist and uh, the things that were temptations for me and the things that my parents taught me weren't good and healthy and weren't becoming of a Christian person, th- th- those things are now out the window. And Paul's saying, by no means. Look at, at chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he says, by no means. And so the immediate question that people are having, that as a result of what Jesus has done, right, as a result of his death and resurrection, people are saying he's did that and I didn't have to earn it. This is the first thing in my life that I didn't have to work for. I didn't have to earn. I, I didn't rightly deserve. Uh, and, and so if it's been just already given to me, because we're that kind of society, right? We take advantage of a good deal. Can't I just continue in this? And he says, by no means, we are those who've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So he's saying, yeah, you don't continue in that. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean free in that kind of way. It's free to live this new life. He says, for if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Might be done away with. Might actually be done away with. Because anyone who has died has been set free There's that word free. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And so Paul's talking about this freedom here, but he's not talking about a freedom to do whatever we want, but he's talking about a freedom that immediately realizes that it's free and makes itself captive or prisoner, if you will, to something else and that something else or someone else is Jesus Christ and the way of Jesus Christ. So it's not this freedom as in, um, because we, we always think about freedom as a, the free, if I were to ask you to define freedom or if I tried to define freedom myself, it would be the ability to do whatever I want. And what Paul is teaching here in the scriptures is not the ability to do whatever I want to do, but it's the ability to follow Christ in my actual life. Then look what he says a little bit further in that same chapter in verse, verse 20. He says, when you were slaves to sin, and I almost feel like he's trying to convince them of what he's saying, that this freedom is a, is a good thing. He says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time, at that time, from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's, it's like Paul here is trying to convince the church that, yes, this freedom is a good thing. He says, hey, what benefit did you receive? Like, like, like what, what came out of that? Right? A, moment of, 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 uh, a moment of pleasure, um, a, a good time for the moment, but, but reaping the consequences of those decisions and reaping the the, the consequences and the things that happen as a result of it and carrying along baggage and hardship and looking back and saying, I wish I wouldn't have or I wish I would have lived my life differently. Paul's saying that's, that's kind of what you're reaping from this way of life that doesn't line up with God's way and, and that it just doesn't fit with logic to call that freedom. 
Because freedom is a good thing. And freedom feels good, not just in the moment, but it leads us to God's goodness for eternity. You see, Paul is kind of redefining freedom. Freedom isn't the ability to do whatever we want to do, but it's the ability to follow and pursue the way that leads to life eternal. You see, what Paul is realizing is that our life here on this earth is short in comparison to eternity. It's short in comparison to the life that we will live in Jesus Christ that will be filled with joy, that will be filled with hope, that will be filled with peace and no pain, that will be filled with pleasure and excitement. That's the life that Christ is calling us to. And he's trying to convince the church. uh, Yeah, he's trying to convince the church that this is worth pursuing, that this is worth giving your life now so that you might experience the life that is true life indeed. But this isn't a buzzworthy gospel that Paul is preaching. He's not only preaching the benefits and blessings of Jesus Christ, but he's challenging us to understand the responsibility and the structure that must exist in our life if we're ever going to fully experience the joy of being free. You see, for so many, they were free from prison and then they don't have that structure and responsibility. And what do they do? They find themselves right back. And Paul's teaching us the exact same thing, that this freedom is good. And you only experience his goodness when you have some structure and responsibility in your life. Look at what he says. And I'm going to jump a little bit further ahead in Romans chapter 8. He says, therefore, there is no condemnation There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free. He's using that word free again. He set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do um, because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And he also condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, here's the responsibility. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he's saying that God did this apart from any action of your own. God chose to die on the cross for you so that you might be declared righteous. Apart from anything that you've done, that's grace. God's given that to you. That's a free gift. But then Paul teaches that now as a result of that, we live into our freedom. That we live into life in Christ Jesus. That we begin pursuing him with our all. So that that righteousness that's already been given to us becomes a little more real in our actual lives. It becomes a little more uh, played out. Um, Not played out in a bad way. I mean, that wasn't a good word. Uh, A little more uh, seen in our actual lives. I was thinking about, you know, played out. That's played out. That's that's so yesterday. Uh, (laughs) um, So what what Paul is thinking, uh, I I was thinking about this just this morning. When I was a kid, we we went to church um, over on the other side of, of Greenbrier. And over on Stone Road, 
Um, we, we love, there's this one part of the road when we were going to church on Stone Road. It's, it kind of goes to this curve. Uh, there's a little park there, and there was this, this hill. And, um, and, and for kids, it, it, it sounds stupid, but it always felt like we were on a roller coaster when we went down that road. So we'd go down that road, and my dad, and I kind of think my dad would like, um, uh, not hit the brakes as we were going kind of through that curve and that hill just because we, we would do this thing where, you know, when you're on a roller coaster and you put your arms up and the kids, we'd be all be sitting in the back and we'd go, wee, you know, and it's just this, like, I go by that today and it's like this little hill, like it's like, <laughs> but as a kid, it felt like you know, that feeling where it feels like your stomach kind of rises up into your chest. As a kid, it felt like that. And so every day on every Sunday on our way to church, we go Wee! over this over this little hill um, um, because uh, it wasn't scary. It was fun. It was joyful uh, because we knew that we, we knew there was no danger, there no risk there. It's the same way with roller coasters. right? If you're a person that enjoys roller coasters, you see that thing go over and over and over again. You know, there's no danger. You know, there's no no risk there. And that's kind of what Paul is teaching us in this in this life is that we follow the way of Christ, right? And it may have curves and bumps and hills, but it's a joy-filled experience. So when Paul's talking about freedom, he's talking about it as this joy-filled experience of actually having the ability, the freedom to to make positive strides towards Christ's likeness. Several years ago, I went to um, I went to Jamaica, and if you've ever been in Jamaica. You know that, that people just don't drive the way that, that we drive um, uh, here. They, they, uh, the, the rules of the road are a little bit different. Um, and the, the respect for speed limits um, is a little bit different. Um, and I, I, we were we were kind of with a group, and we had this this guy that was driving this this bus that we were on. And, and there was one day that we spent time up in the mountains and, and visited even with some churches, and, and uh, went to a coffee farm up there, and we had some of the best coffee that I've ever had in my in my life at Jamaican uh, uh, Blue Mountain Coffee. And uh, and we visited with some churches, but but on our way up that road, right, as we were going up up the side of the mountain, I mean it was pouring down rain, right? And and I'm thinking that here's a bus full of, of of people, right? And this guy still had no respect for the speed limit. He is flying around curves. The the road is only as wide as like a one what we would consider a one way road. In order for two cars to pass, um, that th- th- you have to pull over to the side of of the road. I I'm terrified, right? I can think of no other time in my life that I almost like went on myself um, because I was so afraid. <laughs> I mean, it was terrifying. It was raining. I couldn't see. Uh, for the best of me, I knew that this bus driver could, couldn't see. And when we got there, I was happy, but I didn't enjoy the journey, right? The, the journey had no joy, no pleasure. The, the incredible thing was this. Um, as we were coming down out of the mountains, right? We're, we're coming down. This guy's going no fast, no, no slower. Um, the road is still soaking wet. The rain has now stopped. And I, I can't count the number of times we came around a curve and he would slam on the brakes. The other car would slam on the brakes. The tires would slide and we would stop just short of hitting each other and then just one go around the other just like it was just like that was a normal everyday part of life and we get to this one part of the road um and we're not we're not nearly down the mountain at this point we get to this one part of the road and um and and uh, say the road is about the way size of a of a half of a road here uh and and half of that half had fallen off the side of the mountain right it just had fallen off it had rained that hard the dirt under it had washed away 
um, the asphalt was gone, half of the half had fallen off. In my head, there was no way that bus was going to squeeze through that little half of a half of a road. And this, the bus driver stops. He, he looks at the road, and he says, I can do this. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> and, and he squeezes over to one side, and, and he, he makes his way on past that. And I'm thinking to myself, what if this half falls off with the other half? Um, but he wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't afraid of that, but I was terrified because I wasn't confident that we'd make it down, right? Because I didn't have that confidence that we would make it to our destination. Now, over here on Stone Road, when I hit that bump, I was fully confident that we were going to make it to our destination. So I have joy. I'm we, I'm, I'm excited, right? When I get on a roller coaster, I'm fully confident that it's going to bring me back to the place where I started, right? I'm fully confident in that. I, I really have no questions. I don't doubt that. Um, but on this road, I doubted it, and there was no joy in the experience. And what Paul is trying to teach us is that the way of Jesus Christ is the way that God intended us to live our life. Right, And we look at ourselves and we look at all other ways and we can measure them uh, and we can think about them and we, we can hold out, this one may work, this one may work, this one. And I'm going to put all my eggs in these different baskets, right, just in case this way is not the right way. What Paul is saying is that we need to be fully convinced that Jesus is the way and put the full weight of our hope in Jesus Christ. And then we experience this freedom as real joy. It's only then that we can experience the freedom that we have in Christ as real joy. That's because we're fully convinced that if I stay on this way, that it leads to life that is life. But if I'm constantly holding back and saying this may not be the way, it may not get me where I'm trying to go. This may be a dangerous road. This isn't a God that I'm sure that I can trust. If we're constantly holding back, then we don't experience the joy that God intended us to have in Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, Paul's saying, put all your hope, the full weight of your hope in Jesus, and then experience the joy that you have. Towards the end of Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about what that, what that looks like. In Romans chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading down towards the end if I can get my page to divide. I always had these teachers, and I always wondered why they did this when I was a kid. They would lick their fingers and do their pages like that. I hated that, right? I'd always take my page off the bottom when they were passing out papers because there's always a spit stain on the front one. Uh, listen to what Paul says in Romans. That's why I don't do it when I'm up here. I'm like, I don't want to. It's just nasty. Um, in Romans chapter 8, listen to what he says in verse 35. He says, who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are slaughtered as sheep. We are, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, right? This is the experience he's talking about, that I'm on the right way, that I believe that the 
full weight of my hope can be upon Jesus Christ, that I don't have to hold out hoping for something else. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither um, n- n- neither present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor death, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. For I am convinced of that. That this is the way that God has for me, and this way will lead me to my destination. And so, yeah, through bumps and bruises, through hardships, through unseen, through cloudy days, I'm trusting in him because I am convinced. And what Paul is challenging the church to do in this letter to the Romans, what Paul is challenging us to do in this letter to the church today is to put the full weight of our hope in Jesus Christ. Because it's only there that we experience the full joy that we have in our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. There's one thing that Paul teaches us, and really this is the, I guess, takeaway challenge point. Is that it's not just that we've been let go in Jesus Christ. It's not just about being let go but that we have to let go. That there are some things in our past that Paul talks about in his own past. He uses himself as an example. And he says, I've had to let go of these things. I've had to release them in order that I might more fully follow Jesus Christ and pursue his way. You see, for all of us, we we grow up in this world... And there's challenge to put our hope in different things. And so for some, when you were, when you were young, your parents ingrained in you, put your hope in, in education, go to school, do well in school, um, go to college, get a degree, um, because that's the way to do well in this world. And so we begin putting our hope in that. And then we get a job and we begin earning an income and we can buy things and afford things and we begin putting our hope in that, and then we get relationships, and we find that that there can be a sense where um, where there's two is better than one, and we begin feeling good in that relationship, and we put our our hope in, in that, and, and then we uh, we we start a savings account. And it begins to grow, and we lose our job, and that savings is there, and then we're like, glad I did that. I put my hope in that, and so in this world, as we journey through it, we're constantly drawn to put our hope in things of this world, um, that things that are ultimately temporary and cannot bear the weight of our hope. But what Paul is teaching the church is be fully convinced that Jesus is worthy of the full weight of your hope. Trust in him. Now, he's not saying don't have relationships. He's not saying don't pursue education. He's not saying throw that job out the window and just live truly free in the sense of freedom in this world. But he's saying the only thing that we're fully convinced of is the goodness and mercy of Jesus Christ and his ability to keep us and that his way is right and good and holy and just and that it leads to a freedom that is joy. That when we follow this way, we're able to say with assurance that this freedom sure feels, it feels good. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you've called us uh, to follow you. 
that you've called us to pursue you with everything that is within us. And God, I I thank you that you are not a God that's like us, that can be sometimes fickle, that fails at times, um, that sometimes we aren't good and we don't show kindness and sometimes we just aren't in the mood. But God, we thank you that your love never fails, that it never gives up, and it never runs out on us. God, that's the kind of God that we want to live for. And so God, please help us to be fully convinced that your way is the way. And that in all things we might love you, that in all things we might pursue you, that in all things we might live for you, that we might give you a chance to show us the joy that is real joy in Jesus Christ. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.